Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from Warner Brothers Discovery International Television Distribution's Robert Blair, Endeavour Content's Prentice Fraser and TV4 Sweden's Sophie Huit from the 2022 LA screenings. And from Curiosity Entertainment's Adjusha Apana and Leif Leela Hogan about bringing top-tier American talent to projects financed outside the US. Robert Blair is a Warner Brothers veteran having been with the company for more than 20 years prior to its recently completed $43 billion merger with Discovery. Now president of Warner Brothers Discovery International Television Distribution, London-based Blair oversees licensing across TV, film and digital for the business. This week, however, he's welcoming 1,000 buyers to the Warner Brothers lot in Burbank, California, as the LA screenings returns for the first time in three years. On the ground there, he spoke to Jordan Pinto about getting back to physical meetings, the Warner Brothers Discovery Slate, how the merger changes his remit and the trends he's seeing in the marketplace. Robert, thanks, thanks very much for joining us today. Um, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. It's been about three years since the LA screenings took place in person um, and obviously a lot has changed in that time. How does it feel to be back in the room with, with all the buyers? Well, certainly I would say the return to, to normality is wonderful and I'd say probably nothing short um, of exciting to see faces and people that you haven't seen for three years to be on the lot where everything is produced um, to see the reaction I think from buyers to the content which we haven't seen face to face for three years um, it's overall nothing but extremely positive uh, let's talk a bit about the content then um, what are some of the shows that you will be I, I know shows are kind of like children you don't want to choose choose your favorites in that in that regard but um, which are some of the shows that you might be um, really highlighting for this LA screenings yeah I think probably as you know it's a little bit of a embarrassment of riches you know we now represent all of what uh, is produced for HBO all of what comes out of the Warner Brothers television group and all of what is or a lot of what is created for Max. So probably this year, I mean, the ones that we're highlighting in the morning, there's a fantastic procedural called East New York um, that is uh, going to premiere this fall on CBS and sort of returns you back to the days where we had great success with shows like Without a Trace and Cold Case, just big, strong procedurals. We have uh, a really well-produced Warner Brothers television uh, series called Dead Boy Detectives for Max. Um, we're presenting here uh, a pilot. I mean, what's been really nice this year, Jordan, is because of the change in the production cycle, the idea of having finished pilots available uh, for this exact day doesn't exist anymore. So both Casey and Channing have been very gracious and conciliatory in enabling us to screen product that isn't just absolutely completely finished yet, but recognize sort of the importance of this event to enable people to see it. So Dead Boy Detectives is one of those. Um, The third one that we'll highlight this morning is Love and Death. Uh, Love and Death is the new entree uh, for HBO from David E. Kelly. Uh, We don't have a uh, a broadcast or premiere date to it yet, but I think that will screen extremely well. Uh, We have a return, um, another derivative of the Pretty Little Liars uh, that we're screening. Um, We've also got pilots of Night Court, which is a new NBC half hour. The other half hour that we're screening is uh, a title called Rap Shit that will premiere on Max. Um, two, two other titles that we're showing presentation tapes of. Again, going back to that idea of where the production cycle sits. Uh, one is um, sort of the prequel to the 15-season running Supernatural called The Winchesters. So we'll have a presentation tape on that. And another, the latest derivative from the DCIP catalog is one called Gotham Knights. So that's pretty much, and we've got a long, extensive lineup, which at one point, again, considering where we are in the production cycle, we were somewhat worried when we get through to lunch hour, and now we're back to our usual norm of getting through till probably 5 or 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. Um, what you were mentioning there about the production cycle, um, and you know the, the typical pilot season not quite existing in the same way. How does that change things for you in, in the LA in the LA screenings and um, the strategy as you approach the LA screenings with the typical traditional pilot season kind of changing and in flux? Yeah, you know it doesn't have. We've always been more from a selling side, sort of a 52-week business. 
I mean, the one market, of course, that very much mirrors what that U.S. market is, is Canada, because so many of the series, of course, are broadcast day and date. For the rest of the world, it doesn't make a big difference other than it's wonderful to be able to present, to present as a showcase all of the titles here. We take great pride in bringing the talent, the talent that is in front of the com camera and behind the camera to participate and be involved in this event. And I think that probably is the great value of this event. It lets those who are making the content and starring in the content um, communicate and interact, interact with those who are buying it, um, which, is, which is really exciting for us. But I say buying, or it, should, it really should be those producing and starring in the content get yeah. to participate and be involved with those who are buying it. Yeah, so in, in those three years, one of the major things that has changed is that Warner Media is now part of Warner Brothers Discovery. Um, I appreciate it's still early days and there's, there's a lot of things um, that are probably still in flux with that, but how does your remit shift within, um, within the new corporate structure now that you're part of the, the, the larger Warner Brothers Discovery brand? Well, certainly the catalog gets bigger. Um, I mean, I think the, the two companies together do bring some extremely um, well-known and iconic brands. I think both have a tremendous history. Ours, obviously, longer than theirs in the international and domestic marketplace. I think as David Zaslav has been very clear in saying is that, you know, part of what we have to do is monetize content. I don't think, and I, it's a little early again to suggest that I have any clear idea what the strategy is relative to the, to the direct-to-consumer business, but certainly you get an idea that distribution is important, the monetization of content is important. I think we will we will always do it strategically. We've always done it that way. If it makes sense, we do it relative to the wider ecosystem and universe. So I don't think a lot will have changed. I, I think they're very good. They're sharp. They're smart. We're sharp. We're smart. And distribution, I think, all, distribution and international will be very important, I think, in, in the larger companies that goes forward. Um, in terms of trends to watch for in, in the year ahead, is there anything that you think we should expect to see or are there any um, trends that you're noticing in the international distribution marketplace that are impacting your business and how you approach international work? Yeah, I think, and as, as many would say, that the, the world really is of one today. So I think one of the trends is that most of our clients in the international marketplace, outside of the dubbing issue, would love to be as close in terms of premiere and transmission um, as what is happening here in the U.S. where series are premiering. There's obviously a huge, nice tidal wave of promotion that comes with that, where in the old days, it wasn't sort of the priority. I think people more looked at what worked best for them. Um, dramas, I mean, dramas seem to be really what's driving the international business today more than comedies. Um, we had Channing Dungey speak to us, and even when we see in our lineup today, you know, we've got one new network comedy, possibly another one in Cindy Snow and Fox, but it's really dramas that are being pushed. And I think the overall benchmarks and water level has risen. I mean, there's no question that the quality of the content that we see out there continues to rise. Um, and certainly I think that we are certainly one of the suppliers that see that, see that and are react. When I say reacting to it, we are bringing that water level up. Um, just to go back to your remit again, if you don't mind, um, so yeah, you said it will it will definitely expand with the with the discovery um, discovery now being part of the group as well. Does the unscripted discovery projects will they, they come they come under your under yeah, that's your umbrella still, now or is that still still to be decided? I think that we had made the decision several years ago, even with all of the unscripted Warner content, we had set up a separate group under Ronald Hoos and his team on the Warner Brothers international production side who looked after the unscripted stuff. So that's all I think very much a work in progress still. Um, for the LA screenings, how, how do you, what are the benchmarks for success? Like next week, when, what, how will, what will need to have happened for you to say that was, a, that was a great, great event? Yeah, I don't think that we look at it so short term. I think, as I said earlier, I think one of the, one of the best things that has come out of this with not sounding romantic is that reconnection with all of our clients and those relationships. Um, I think Channing Dungey shared very much and very clearly in her opening address. I mean, that's who we rely upon to share all of this stuff to the world are our clients. 
Um, so I think next week there are no short-term goals. I think it's more the idea of being able to reconnect. Um, the relationships haven't stopped, that's for sure. We've, we've continued them. They've gotten as strong as they ever were. We've gone from strength to strength through that period of the pandemic. Um, but really no short-term goals to say, here's a level of sales or something that we would achieve. Not at all. I think we love to hear the news at the end of the week when the buyers say, boy, you guys have the best stuff again. And that, that's really what brings music to our ears, I think. The rest of it will fall in fall into place thereafter. Um, I'm assuming you're a busy man this week as well. Uh, you have about around a, maybe a thousand, a thousand buyers coming into uh, in for the week. Um, what does what your schedule look like for the next few days? Yeah, it, 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 it's busy. But you know what? It is, it's good busy. As I said, this is, it's wonderful dealing with people that we've had these great relationships for so long. Our, our, our job typically here, um, from a distribution perspective, it's, it's relatively easy in that you don't have to convince people to buy our content. The content always speaks for itself. The part that we work hard at is finding ways to negotiate um, deals and agreements that work for both sides. Because I think sometimes the hardest part would be trying to convince people to buy things they don't want to buy. We don't naturally have to do that. The content always has spoken for itself, I think, for the last 25 years that I've been here. Um, you know, so it's going to be a good week. When you're explaining the strategy to, to, to buyers and to the wider industry, today, what is the message you'd like to get out to the, the international um, distribution and buying community about your priorities and, and your strategy going forward? Yeah, I think that probably the thing that needs most clarity is that we're distributing content. You know, we made a very clear decision that we're not going to hoard our content or remove our content from any of the of the players that we've traditionally licensed our, our content to. Obviously when you look at the territories where we've where we've we've launched Max, our own D2C service, we're very mindful of how does our business interact with that business. Um, and again, I think going forward, it's very clear. We're going to monetize content. We're going to do it in a smart way, in a strategic way, for the better of the of the bigger business. I mean, probably, probably the one, the only other thing, Jordan, I would say, what, what you'll see from what our lineup of content is today, very similarly, is that we keep producing content for everybody. That's it. I mean, I think it's a really clear, clear message that you'll hear on the production side and on our side is that to attract those best storytellers, you have to provide them enough of a buffet to be able to share to them that whatever genre or tone they're going to produce, we can find a home for it. And I think inside there today, we had a we had a slide presentation that showed that. You know, you don't just have Warner Brothers Television Group producing for the TNTs, the TBSs, the CWs, and uh, the Maxes. We produce for everybody. Um, and I think that we see that as a tremendous staple and that ability to make sure the best producers want to come here. Is that a question you've been getting from a lot of buyers um, asking, you know, what, what is available because I think the, the concern of, or the fear is that everything will always, the studio groups will only save things. For yeah, no, not at all. As I said again, I think, and it, 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 it's easy to show when you look at the, um, at the Ted Lassos of the world, the Lucifers of the world, the East New Yorks of the world, you can see, I mean, we walk the talk, you talk, you know what I mean? I know. The like there's, there's no, yeah. but I think that's one of the biggest questions, I think, is the world has become more verti vertically integrated and consolidated. I think the fear is for those that sit outside of those walls, they ask those questions. And there are certain um, producers of content and studios who have made a decision probably to build those walls higher than where we build them. And the reason, as I said, the reason why we don't build them high, because I think from a storytelling perspective, you want to attract people that know that it's a low wall. They can tell their stories inside the silo or they can go outside the silo. And I think for us, it's very clear that we're very happy to go outside of the silo. And using that same metaphor, it's kind of how we sell. I am not only going to be selling to HBO Max service in Spain. Because what makes us very proud is this event that we put on. I mean, we always feel and the feedback that we get is that this event is always sort of head and shoulders above others. And we take tremendous pride in it. And we it's been hard to do probably with half of the people that used to do it. But as I walked in this morning, I thought, wow, this is spectacular again what we've done. So as I said, that's that that's the great pride that we take in saying that there may be less resources available, but nothing changes in terms of the quality of what's delivered.
Robert Blair Beverly Hills-based Endeavor content became part of South Korea's CJ E&M earlier this year, following a $785 million sale prompted by a successful Writers Guild of America campaign against talent agency packaging practices. The company is among those taking part in this year's LA screenings, with titles on its slate including modern-day western Bring on the Dancing Horses, Finnish crime series The Man Who Died, and Australian courtroom drama The Twelve, an English-language remake of the Belgian series of the same name. From Soho House West Hollywood, where Endeavour content is showcasing its wares to international buyers, Executive Vice President of Television Distribution Prentice Fraser spoke to Jordan Pinto about the hunt for new content to add to its library and how US studio streamers have changed the landscape. Prentice, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, how are you doing today? Yeah, you're welcome. I'm doing really well, thanks. Great to hear. Um, okay, so of course you're no stranger to the LA screenings um, from your time with Fox, but this, I believe, is your first LA's first in-person LA screening since joining Endeavor Content. Um, what's it like to be back in the room with um, with your clients and the buyers and the people that you do business with? Yeah, it's um, it's definitely it feels somewhat familiar to what you know the LA screenings used to be, but I think the the vibe is definitely very. Um, very different than it used to be. It was like very structured in the past where the studios had a really regimented schedule throughout the week and, um, you know, set, like I said, a set schedule. And this year seems to be slightly more fluid. Um, so our approach this year has been quite unique to other uh, companies in the market, so outside of the studios or the independents. What we've decided to do is take space. We've taken the screening room here in the Soho House in West Hollywood and we've programmed two screenings a day and they're bite-sized screenings so they're just under two hours each where buyers can sort of dip in and dip out as it suits their schedule so it's this sort of very flexible customized approach um, and the response has been phenomenal we've had full schedule full uh, seating in every single one of the screenings so that's been great um, and yeah the response to the content's been fantastic and um, so that's been fun and different than what it was like at a traditional studio or one of the traditional independents prior. And you can definitely feel that people are excited to see each other again. Let's talk a bit about the shows that you are showing off to the buyers this week. Yeah, so in addition to the two-hour block that we're doing, we also are offering customized screenings throughout the midday and evenings all throughout the week. And so what we've done is given buyers like a list of all the finished programming that they can watch. And then people are either coming to the main screening or they've booked in separately to come and watch some of the other titles that they want to screen with their, with their teams. And especially for the local buyers, it's been really interesting because they're bringing like the marketing department or the legal team or people from finance so it's like a, a much larger audience than you would normally get if you're screening something online um, and so in that full list we've got scripted and non-scripted programming which I think is quite unique also to this particular market which is traditionally focused on scripted um, during the two-hour block we are focusing on scripted and we are focusing on finished programming so whereas a lot of the studios as I understand it are you know showing uh, titles that are maybe in development or things that um, are in earlier production phases. So again, the response from the buyers has been really fantastic. They're thrilled to be able to see product that they can buy and that has so much availability um, against them. So one of the titles that we have is called Bring on the Dancing Horses and that's starring Kate Bosworth and she it's a, a modern western uh, female-led where she plays an assassin who's kind of got a list of people that she needs to get through and as she starts taking them out one by one you start to unveil like what's sort of brought her to this point in life and reveal a little bit more of her past. Um, so that's fully shot, 10 episode series, so that's fantastic. We've also got um, a series from Finland called The Man Who Died, which is a very cool series about a successful businessman who has been very unwell and he goes to the doctor you know, for months on end and the doctor says, I have some good news and I have bad news, you know, and the good news is I know what's wrong with you and the bad news is you're dying. And I actually have some worse news in that somebody has been poisoning you very slowly for like a long period of time. And so this man then decides to sort of throw out the bucket list of things he might want to accomplish before he dies and he's going to investigate his own murder before it happens. And so you start to meet all of the crazy characters in his life and figure out maybe who done it, right? So it's a really interesting spin on, on that, you know, a regular murder mystery genre. So a very cool show. 
Um, and then we're going to be screening a full episode of a show called The Twelve, which is a series being produced for Foxtel in Australia. Um, and it's the English language remake of the Belgian series by the same name. And uh, that's, you know, everyone's very excited to see that. We started talking about that in March. Um, and so now to be able to bring finished episodes to the, the buyers is really great. And finally, we are showing a full episode of Headhunters, which is um, based on the Joe Nesbo novel and the film by the same name. And it's a fast-paced thriller out of the Nordics. Um, and so we have Rest of the World available on that as well. So, um, yeah, it's a cool lineup. You know, we've got something from America, something from Australia, two international shows, um, foreign language shows. So, yeah, we're pretty excited about the slate. Yeah, I think with a lot of the, the, the massive studio groups, for the buyers, there's some confusion about what's you know what's available, what's tied up with the studio with, with their proprietary streaming platforms. Um, I assume from the other side of it, you guys are seeing that there's less confusion maybe with buyers, and they know exactly what what is available, what's not. Um, like, are you hearing? Are they happy to? It's a really good point, and I think what we wanted to do, unlike other um, other companies this year specifically because of the confusion that might be taking place in market, was to tell people what the shows are and to tell them what the availabilities are and the um, like the territorial availabilities, but also the time frame in which it will be made available for broadcast in their local markets or globally. And we've been, you know, everyone's been thanking us for that because they've just been dealing with a lot of confusion in, in territory, so we wanted to be ultra clear with everyone about what they could buy. We've also been doing, well, the last time we spoke, we were talking about Endeavor content, you were going to be embarking on a kind of multi-city roadshow. Um, and I know when we spoke, we were still ironing out the specifics of, you know, arranging events in foreign countries. Um, can you tell us a bit about where things have landed with that, with that roadshow? It went really well. Um, we had a few hiccups as it related to just regulations with COVID in certain countries where we had to sort of delay those for a couple months. Um, but for the most part, we were able to get out to, I think, eight cities across Europe, which was great. And again, the buyers brought so many people with them. So, you know, from one channel in Italy, they might have brought 40 people as opposed to just bringing, you know, sending one person to a market to sort of find what's available. So, yeah, that went really well. I would definitely, I think we're actually going to do um, territory screenings after this event as well. Because again, some people aren't comfortable traveling. Uh, maybe the companies don't have necessarily all the budgets that they used to. So we've just, um, we're setting up a Munich screening um, right after this and probably a few other countries as well. Because, you know, based out of London, we're the proximity, it's so easy for us to get to these countries. And, um, you know, all the DCPs are already made from the uh, uh, LA screening. So, you know, it's um, quite simple to execute and it means a lot to the local market. Yeah. And just to confirm, these are, it's a completely new thing for Endeavor Content to be kind of setting up these these events in, in local markets, it's, it's a first? As far as I know, yeah. I mean, um, prior to COVID and prior to me being at the company, I believe that the company was really operating on a fairly traditional television, as everyone was, on a te you know television market schedule where we were all kind of doing the same thing every year. And this just, you know, the last couple of years has given us the opportunity to sort of rethink, you know, the best possible way to interact with people and, and also with the safest way to interact with people. So yeah, it is a new thing. You mentioned unscripted as well. Um, is that maybe not a, a, a gap for you, but is that something that you're seeing buyers being receptive to? Because as you said, it's, this is, people are more, more here to talk about scripted, but also the buyers are very interested in unscripted programming too. Is this a nice opportunity to, to get, put, a bit, put a bit of shine on the, on the unscripted slate as well? Absolutely. Um, we've been pre-selling a few different unscripted titles. Um, globally for you know two years now um, and so you know a few of those productions have, have finally finished and so we're able to show they're, they're pre-sold in several different countries around the world so there's not a ton of avails left but it's really nice to be able to show the finished product to the people that invested in them and then also to the few remaining territories to be able to show finished product to them and you know in this beautiful like screening environment so that's exciting but you know non-scripted programming has taken a different turn in the last several years you know that's primetime programming now and it's drawing huge audiences for the platform so you know although it's not scripted and it might not have the same production budgets i think it can draw the same type of audience so it's definitely an area that we're focusing on what are some of the unscripted shows that so we have um, one title called victoria's secret angels and demons um, and so that one is all the behind the scenes story about what was really going on with Victoria's Secret brand and empire. 
Um, so that's a really interesting piece. I mean, in general, we're actively buying for premium non-scripted series, both long and short running, and then also premium feature documentaries. So that's really the space we want to be in. It's, I don't know, three, four, five months since um, the acquisition um, by CJ E&M became official. Does your remit or your mandate change at all within within a new ownership structure, or is it kind of business uh, as usual or as it was before? My remit has stayed the same. Um, I will say business as usual with new amazing colleagues. Um, so, you know, we now have... Um, a group of people that we're in constant contact with that um, we can work strategically together on different projects and creatively on new original ideas um, and you know CJ was always one of our largest buyers anyway in territory and this just strengthens that relationship but um, no nothing nothing structural around my role or the team in general but I would just say we've been able to collaborate more expansively across the globe I know I've met some of the some of the CJ folks are in town. Yeah. Is, are you getting a chance to meet some of them for the yeah, first yeah. time, or have most of those meetings all? We've definitely happened? met already because we were selling to them before, so a lot of us knew each other. Um, but yeah, meeting new colleagues this time around for sure, and we met some um, on various trips that we've all been in the same city, and yeah, they're attending the screening, and yeah, we're you know getting together. A question about just the, I suppose, the, the broad raison d'etre for, for the LA screenings these days. I think in, in the past it was far more, you know, every single show would be available and you know, people would come and buy and sell. Things have shifted slightly now. Like, how do you how do you assess um, the LA screenings and maybe if you could contextualize that within um, your goals for Endeavor content at this market? Yeah, so it was really important to me that we came here with finished tape and we came here with a uh, proposition for buyers that they could actually you know purchase from us and engage and then have an asset for this year we're really not sticking to a traditional schedule as it relates to television and film markets across the year so we're letting the content really dictate where we need to go and when and you know if we hadn't had things to show we would have just done you know sold the content in a different way but because we had this slate ready to go and available for the scripted buyers it was important that we were here but we really do let the slate dictate kind of where it's important for us to be. I think the availabilities are very different across what all of the studios, both traditional and independent, are offering. Um, it sounds like there's a lot more co-production and development conversations versus um, coming to acquire finished tape. And it sounds like there's also, like I said before, some confusion around what's going to be made available and when. Um, and so we wanted to just be ultra clear and, and make sure there was the right content for the buyers to be able to pick up this year. Are there anything, any other parts of the Endeavor content story from, from your from your perch at the moment that um, that you either like to explain to people or to, to, to get out there at the moment? I guess just we're really actively acquiring content and we're looking for best in category content and we're open to talking to all different producers, be it, you know, ultra extremely ultra experienced producers or people that are new on the scene um, interesting voices interesting stories and also our company is really talented at being able to sort of elevate new voices so um, I'd love to you know just put out there that we're actively looking to build out the library in a really thoughtful and meaningful way so Prentice what is coming up for the next 12 months and what should we expect to see from Endeavor content we do have a lot of launches coming in over the summer internationally for various different titles and so the sales team is working really hard right now getting out into local markets to make sure that those titles are completely sold out in other territories so that we can go day and date as much as possible around the world. And so that's kind of what the next three to six months looks like after uh, the LA screenings. And then of course when you look into the fall we've got MIPCOM will be there in full effect and um, yeah, we're, we're ramping up for that right now. Prentice Fraser speaking with Jordan Pinto. TV4 Sweden Head of Acquisitions Sophie Huit is among the buyers back in LA this week for the return of the screenings after a three-year hiatus and she spoke to Nico Franks about what's changed since the last time she attended in 2018. Huit talked about what she's looking to pick up for the Bonnier-owned broadcaster's various channels and VOD services, as well as the Australian show that's been creating buzz, plus other new series grabbing attention, not just from the US but around the world. 
She also discussed the challenges of not all titles being available to buyers in certain territories due to the expansion of studio-owned streamers like Disney Plus and HBO Max and her mission, however, to find a hot new procedural. So my name is Sophie Schütt and I work for TV4 Media uh, based in Stockholm. We acquire content for um, TV4 in Sweden, uh, MTV in Finland and Seymour Pan Nordic. So back in LA, how does this LA screenings feel? Uh, it is amazing this year because we're back, you know, we sort of uh, were worried up until the last minute, up until sitting on that airplane, we were worried it wasn't going to happen, you know, it felt almost too good to be true, to be honest. Um, it's been three years for most people, four years for me because I had a baby during 2019. So it's absolutely fantastic to be back, to watch content all day, talk to people, meet everyone in the industry. Uh, it's just been, uh, it's been marvelous. Yeah, it's excellent. I feel like the last time I was having these kinds of conversations, so that would have been 2019, it was still very much, you know, the buyers, the international buyers still having to kind of fight for their rights mm -hmm. and wondering how the launch of Disney Plus would impact, you know, what's available. Obviously, a lot's happened <laughs> since then. It feels like the rights conversation is certainly over. Is that, well, is that true? <laughs> uh, to some extent. I mean, it's, uh, I think it, we sort of know more now than we, than we knew then, of course. Um, I mean, the, the market is more competitive than it ever has been. It's very crowded, especially in the Nordics. But, um, but you're right. I mean, three years ago, we, we had to sort of still fight for getting any Avod rights for series. Um, we do tend to get that now. Not for maybe the newest content, and we certainly have to pay for it, you know, but, uh, but that's sort of has been accepted by the sellers. So in that sense, yes, it is easier. I think we, we've gone, we've sort of thankfully moved forward, you know, away from seven-day catch-up on new titles, and now we just acquire ABOT rights. And I think the sellers and the studios, they understand that that's what we need to do. Um, so that's, that's better now, definitely. Um, so yeah, it's changed a lot in the last three years, for sure. And how about in terms of what's available? So it's not just US shows now, uh, but that was happening before the pandemic as well. Yes, definitely. That was happening before. But I, I mean, it's an interesting shift now because usually at LA you screen U US content. And now, I mean, NBC has had a couple of UK titles they've shown. Paramount showed a couple of uh, sort of German, even a German Hebrew title the other day. And so that's a really interesting step forward, opening up to more of an international market, you know, and international co-productions and also also a sign that there is an appetite now for, for non-English speaking titles. Um, a couple of really good Australian shows we've seen as well. So it's a, it's a greater variety out there, um, which is good for us. Um, so that's exciting. And obviously, it must, I imagine it's all a bit of a blur in terms of all the studios that you've been to so far in terms of picking up themes. Mm -hmm. Does anything pop out? Um, I'm not sure about themes, to be honest. Um, I mean, I, what I, you know, the, the non-English speaking and the co-production, international co-production is a, a theme, you know, for sure. That's, that's different. Um, and I mean, it is, if you go to diff the different studios have very different approaches, I suppose. I mean, we, we screened Warner today and, and uh, you know, almost, I think apart from one title, everything will go to HBO Max within the Warner slate in the Nordics. Um, whereas Paramount, which we screened yesterday, everything is available. Everything is for sale. Uh, at NBC Universal, uh, titles, many of the titles will go to Sky Showtime, which is launching in the Nordics in this autumn, but the titles will be available for second window acquisition. So it's, it's, it's different setups, different studios, and Disney, of course, are not even screening. Sony is, is, is available to buy, we're screening them tomorrow, so I haven't seen them yet. But um, it's very different, you can really tell that there's different strategies within the different studios, depending on if they work with partnerships or if they um, have their own streaming services, for instance. And how do they make that clear to the buyers in terms of saying this is available in your territory? They don't always, unfortunately. <laughs> no, but we, you know, we have, um, we've asked for clarity and I think we have a huge understanding and respect for the fact that, the, that they have their strategies, of course. But we've also sort of, of course, we ask for as much clarity as, as, as possible, you know, ahead. But again, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think now that Sky Showtime is launching, they will also have more clarity on what they're doing, both Paramount and NBC. Uh, it's been a little bit, you know, from small studios, it's been a little bit confusing. Whereas Disney has had a very, very clear approach saying we're not going to sell, you know, because we're going to retain, we don't need to sell. But we're happy that a lot of them are still sort of dependent on international distribution, you know, and that's where we're at. And in terms of the shows, so you mentioned some Australian series there. 
And I think maybe I wonder if it's the one that a few buyers have mentioned to me is it's um, someone from Colin from Accounts. Yeah. So is that one of the ones you were thinking of? <laughs> that's everyone. That's everyone's been talking about it. Uh, yeah, Paramount. That was the first title they showed, and it was uh, it was it was brilliant. It's just a really funny comedy, really original, and it just it was just surprising. You know, it's a breath of fresh air to be honest. Um, really, really charming Australian comedy that I think a lot of a lot of platforms would love to have to add to their slate. So that was great to see. And in terms of acknowledging the pandemic, how many of the shows have been doing that, or have have most of them been kind of? skirting around it or just plain not showing it um there has been you know there was one tight there's a couple of titles that uh, that has been sort of mentioning it yes um so you can either go down that route i suppose and sort of make that part of sort of the reality that we live in now or i think you can go the other way and just trying to find more escapism within the title and i think to some extent i think that's what i'm what we're looking for now you know sort of we would love to add more f- sort of feel-good titles perhaps you know easy watching feel-good escapism titles. I think that's what people kind of want at the moment when the world is looking the way it is, pandemic and, and, and Ukraine, etc. It's um, it, It'd be nice to be able to add more sort of uplifting titles to the slates. And I suppose when you do do the heavier stuff, is there the, is there the feeling that that's better handled from a, by a local producer rather than kind of importing that? And that's the kind of position of US programming, uh, at least for, for in your schedule and on your platforms. It's a tricky question to answer, to be honest. Uh, I'm not sure if it needs to be local, but I think, I mean, I think those things are being dealt with quite well by documentaries and also via our own sort of news outlets that we have, you know. And news is a very important part of TV4 and MTV. And, um, um, you know, and that's, we also know that people, I mean, if you look at what the audience have been watching this spring, it's gravitated towards news, uh, of course, because of the situation in the world. And I think that's, that's where we find the strongest sort of numbers currently. The appetite is high for, for, for sort of serious news and... And how, in terms of how many shows you're able or looking to buy compared to, so 2018, the last time you were here, has that significantly changed? Um, trying to think what we looked for then. I think, no, I don't think the amount. I mean, we, we sort of go here and we screen, hoping to cherry pick a couple of titles. We get quite a lot of content now from some of our sort of bigger package deals that we have, or uh, if, you, if, you're looking at a, if you're looking at SVOD, Seymour. Um, you know, we recently added BritBox to our lineup in the Nordics, launching uh, BritBox in the Nordics. Um, so we get lots of our, lots of content, lots of libraries from there. Uh, we have Water Presents, which is more of a sort of a non-English speaking service, etc. So I think aside from that, we're not looking to do like huge package deals, but more sort of trying to find a few shows that we can sort of add to the repertoire, I suppose. And do you differentiate between what you're requiring for your AVOD platform and what you're requiring for your SVOD and the types of shows? Um, I mean, a lot of the time, yeah, we do. But a lot of the time, I think we do actually acquire both windows when we buy a new show. Uh, Not always, because there is sort of a distinct sort of, there is a distinction between what makes sense in the different platforms, I guess. But our appetite for series is very high on our AVOD platform. And our viewers are very, they've gotten used to us launching a new series every week on AVOD in Sweden, for instance. And we're really upping the game when it comes to scripted series on the MTV platform as well. Um, so, and that, that's working incredibly well with our viewers. Um, so with that in mind, we have to acquire quite a lot of rights, quite a lot of, of titles for, for the AVOD platforms. Um, and it makes sense then to sort of, to some extent, piggyback on, on the bigger sort of SVOD deals we might do. But I th- for instance, I mean, one of the sort of, uh, one of the res- results of us acquiring, doing the BritBox deal might mean that we might buy a bit less UK standalone titles for Seymour, um, and then we have to find those rights, specific other titles for AVOD, um, working with lots of the UK distributors, but also NBC Universal, which, which have great UK, UK titles and they're slate with the, with the Sky content. And so you mentioned uh, so Colin from Accounts. Mm-hmm. Have there been any other shows, you know, highlights or just shows that people have been talking about? I think that's the main one people have been talking about. Another one that was really good today, I think, at the Warner Slate was Love and Death, um, about the, the true story about the, the, the candy, the, the housewife who, who killed... Yeah, I don't want to give it away, because then you give away the, the story, but um, a true story about a crime uh, with Elizabeth Olsen. That was a fantastic, fantastic title as well. 
really enjoy that. And I think uh, I heard from quite a lot of other people who also talked very warmly about that. That's an HBO Max title. Um, that's the, those are the two most standout ones, I think, so far. Um, but I also think, you know, looking at more sort of traditional content, um, Paramount's had a title called Fire Country, which is Jerry Bruckheimer title, very sort of US. Um, but, it, you know, it does what it does brilliantly. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It's uh, big scenes, you know, big characters and very dramatic and just, but still has that procedural sort of element to it. Um, that's something I think could work very, very well for us, both on AVOD and SVOD. Um, yeah. Yeah, procedural, it's not a word we tend to use all that much but I think you know mm. back in the day at the LA screenings it was the word on everyone's lips and obviously mm. we've seen Euro attempts by Europeans to kind of make their own and that with you know varying degrees of success yeah. I suppose one of the trends we saw during the pandemic was older viewers shifting towards streaming you know mm. obviously younger people have been doing it for a long long time and then streaming became the kind of default way of viewing for a lot of people so does that mean for AVOD and and some of the, your older skewing channels, are you looking for anything different? Uh, no, I mean, it's, it's just looking for the best content, to be honest, the best sort of standout titles. And I think, you know, we can buy a series that we think is quite sort of young skewing, and that might be why we acquire it, because we're really trying to build more, find more titles for the 15 to 44 sort of thing, that, um, that sort of target group. But a lot of the time when we do that, they're also sort of viewed by older, older viewers because uh, they are very faithful to us, you know, and they love the TV4 brand uh, in Sweden, for instance. I mean, we have a lot of, we have so much drama, like I said, on our on our um, AVOD platform, and um, a lot of that is UK titles, UK crime, and, and that really, of course, very strongly appeals to slightly older as well, older skewing audience, for sure. But again, we try to we try to find titles that will appeal to the younger as well. And I think one of the titles, the procedural actually, that we added earlier this year was um, Burden of Truth, which is quite an, not old, but it's, it's it's a few years old now. It's quite a lot of seasons there from E1 um, about this young female lawyer, and that sort of specifically was meant to target you know the the slightly younger audience where young females could relate to this this woman in the show. And um, that's been doing incredibly well for us. And I think there is definitely more of a need for procedural. I think beginning of the SWOT era, you know, it was all serialized, serialized, serialized. And that is, of course, super important to us uh, as well. But if you do nail a strong procedural show that keeps on giving, then you really have a winner on your hands, definitely. And I think when it comes to building spent time, and making sure that people stay in the service. Those procedural titles are very important. The only thing is that if you buy something that's been running for eight to ten seasons, there's a lot of there's a lot of hours to acquire, and it becomes very becomes very expensive, of course. But uh, they do really add something to the service, um, and I think that's something that we should probably we looking at doing more uh, for Seymour um, and for Avod as well, for sure. And what has the impact of the launches of Disney Plus and HBO Max been in terms of competition between? Swedish buyers for US shows because I suppose a lot of your competitors I think had quite a lot of Disney shows but now obviously they they won't have those so mm -hmm. has that intensified the competition it has intensified the competition and what we've also seen over the last 12 months is that Disney Plus also go out to acquire titles that we thought they would sort of not go that close to, to be honest. Um, slightly more niche, non-English speaking titles and uh, strong sort of standout UK content. Uh, they're actually going out to acquire those rights now for the Nordics. Um, so they're not sort of sticking to their own their own content. And uh, that, of course, it means that titles that it might have been just us going for earlier, we now have very, very, very strong competitors for those titles, which I tend to intensifies things for sure. But luckily, there's so much content being produced that um, so far we've still managed to sort of acquire titles, you know, get what we need. But, uh, you know, we're very pleased to have big sort of aggregated content like BritBox, you mm -hmm. know, that really adds a lot of hours for us. That was a very strong, very, very sort of specific deal we, we made for, for a specific reason. So, yeah, that's interesting, seeing U.S. studios buying from a, their fellow U.S. studios, but for the international market. Yeah, all buying from the U.K. distributors, um, you know, working with, for instance, all through Media and Fremantle, you know, um, and maybe BBC and ITV as well, you know. So they're going to sources that have been very sort of more local before, you know, non-U.S., uh, to sort of widen their slates, I guess, you know. Um, mm. Yeah, for this, because Disney can put it under the Star brand, which is a lot more exactly. adult skewing. Exactly. Okay, yeah, something to look out for at the London screenings, which... 
Yes. Probably won't have as, as good weather as we've got at the moment. <laughs> um, and just finally, in terms of, yeah, you mentioned a few US shows that have been working well. Did you come here kind of with a, 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 a kind of a shopping list of the kinds of shows that you're looking to acquire? And if so, what, what were those? Well, I think... Um I think uh, two things. I think it's either the, the sort of standout sort of mini-series event programming uh, titles with a bit of star quality and a bit of sort of standout sort of sellable features. Um, but also I would love to find a fantastic procedural, you know, easy watching, good co-viewing, something that goes broad, uh, which works very well for us, both on Seymour and, um, and um, on, on, on AVOD. I'd love to do that, something long-running that will keep the audience happy for many years to come. Sophie Wheat talking with Nico Franks. Now over to Jordan to introduce our next interview. Launched just prior to the onset of the pandemic, LA-based Curiosity Entertainment has five TV shows and two feature films in the works currently. The first of those is the eight-part drama Europe by Train from Ozark co-creator and executive producer Mark Williams. RTL-owned Dutch streamer Videoland recently boarded the project, which is a co-production between Irish, Dutch, Portuguese and US partners. Today I'm joined by Adrusha Apana, founding partner, and Leif Lielhagen, partner and head of development. In this conversation, Apana and Lielhagen discuss their upcoming slate, working in collaboration with sister financing company Curiosity Media Finance, and operating outside the traditional studio financing model in the U.S. Leif and I started Curiosity Entertainment about three months before the pandemic. Of course, we didn't know that a global pandemic was about to hit. So we had started the company and had, you know, about six films, one TV show that we were going to go into. And then, of course, the great um, pandemic that we all know and love now came and was upon us. And so we had to pivot. At first, it was that every six months we thought that it was going to end. So we kept holding on to what we had and thinking that we were going to progress with the original strategy. But as the months and months went on, we decided to pivot to developing just so that we could hold on to these stories that we really love and that we really cherished and create the best path forward for them. So we actually held every single project until post-pandemic, which meant that we let go of some of those films that we had first come um, upon when we had started the company. And our strategy is now almost, I would say, 50% international television and then uh, 50% film. And we have two films and five TV shows that are in different various uh, phases for this year. And then we have uh, several others that are in development for next year and our first two are out to the market our first tv show is a tv show by mark williams who did ozarks uh leif and mark developed that prior to the pandemic and leif and i will be producing that along with our partner santosh govindaraju who's got financing it and we're just incredibly excited to be heading to amsterdam with video land and then we have two films that are in casting right now one is a simon west film that i'm gonna let leif tell you about a little bit in a, a little bit and the second is a film called funny girl with anthony mccartan who did theory of everything darkest hour and bohemian rhapsody and uh we have a big director that is attached to that as well and we are currently casting that will take part in england as well so we we have the we formed curiosity sort of in the vein of uh, adrish and i have worked in many facets of the business uh development, financing, packaging, the representation world. We've had uh, tentacles in a lot of those things. So we've, we put Curiosity together as a development production and financing entity. And very few times do you see all, the, all three of those things under one roof. So it behooves us to be able to um, make uh, fast decisions, move things along. So even during a pandemic, we were able to pivot quickly and sort of reorganize how we were uh, how we were moving uh, moving things along um, but then as the world has opened up um, it's made us very busy so that's good important though to to just specify that our finance company is a sister company to us it's a completely separate entity so Leif and I own Curiosity Entertainment which develops and produces creatively for streamers studio as well as our own financing and external inter- uh, external independent financiers 
And Curiosity Media Finance is a sister company that is run by Santosh, and it comes in to support us on gap financing of these international productions and on equity financing and things that fit the international marketplace and our green light terms. Excellent. That, that's a great backgrounder in uh, yeah, where the company is today. Um, I think you mentioned that there are five television projects in, in various uh, stages of development at the moment. Are you able to mention any of them specifically? And um, if you can't get too far into the specifics of the project, if maybe you could talk a bit a bit more overall about, um, you know, whether it's scripted focused and maybe some of the areas of scripted that you're, you're looking at. What we can share with you is some of the creators we're working with and kind of the ethos behind it. So let's split them up, Leif. We are working with Kevin Fox, who's known for a Law and Order SVU and is now currently on Raising Canaan. With him, we are doing a remake of a fictionalized uh, story by Deepak Chopra. It is a big superhero type world. Uh, we are working with the Nice Brothers who did Umbrella Academy um, with a new voice, Korean-American voice named Joe Price. And that is a supernatural thriller about the territory that is um, haunted between the North and South Korea border. Yeah, we're also working with um, Rob Weiss um, of Ballers and Entourage fame on a kick-ass World War II project uh, that is uh, not not your uh, grandmother's uh, BBC uh, history. It's it's uh, quite fun and uh, raucous. And then we're also working with, um, in conjunction with Alcon Studios, um, a, a piece um, with uh, Nazrin Choudhury, who is the showrunner from Fear the Walking Dead and also from uh, Jack Ryan and various other shows. So one of the things that we've one of the things that we've done, and the reason why we talk about the creators that we're working with is Adrusha and I have you know great relationships with showrunners in the U.S., talented uh, you know directors, what have you, who are working in and around the streamer system, the network system, and sometimes they're looking for something slightly different where they have a little bit more control in their business side of things. That's what the international co-production market uh, brings to us is a little bit more flexibility, a little bit more say for those creators. So. We bring them into the whole process from, you know, development all the way through, you know, decisions on who our partners are going out into the world. We unpack um, that that co-production strategy um, a little bit. So the um, Europe by Train, of course, is is a project that uh, you're kind of you know working on in LA, but there are a lot of European partners involved. Um, would you say that is typical of the television model that that Curiosity Entertainment uses and will be employing? Or will you also be looking to kind of finance projects solely out of the US as well? I'm going to sing Leif's praises here. When we went to start this company, I've always been a bit of a disruptor. I come from a 10-year in brand-brand strategy before moving back to film and television. I grew up as an actor, singer, dancer, broke my knee when I was 15, um, and ended up instead of going to conservatory for musical theater, going into business school at a top three business school. Um, and so when I finally came back to entertainment, I had this way of looking at all businesses in a 360 degree approach and really searching for new business models and where the niches were that were being underserved. And when Leif and I first met, um, he was at Endgame Entertainment. And one of the uh, stories that he had championed was a television show called The Night Manager. And The Night Manager used this international model of creating television. And as someone who is very focused, and we're both very focused, on the idea that we are very rapidly, I would, I would actually argue we're already in a global marketplace, but we are very rapidly moving towards this space where we are no longer looking at a marketplace as a single territory. The world with Web 2, with Web 3 becomes smaller and smaller. And we feel very strongly that audiences are now international audiences and that you are actually um, doing yourself a disservice if you are segmenting audiences. And so when I met Leif for the first time and he told me about this international co-pro model that he had used on Night Manager for television, I had to have it. I had to have it in my ecosystem. I had to be building upon it because we were both watching what was happening with the streamers and the influx of content. And what happens when we have an influx of distribution mechanisms like we did with the streamers is that you really find value in these niche areas that you can serve and in understanding audiences and how to find them 
how to give them what they want and how to reservice them. Leif, tell them a little bit about the model that I was so obsessed with. Sure. I think that I, I think the the thing is, Jordan, is that we have, you know, it used to be that a great show was made in Norway and uh, you know, the the rights for that, uh, you know, the format rights for that were sold and an American producer would make it and they would make it much, much worse and it would uh, you know, it, it would not work out well and um you'd never hear anything more from that. But with the influx of the streamers, we we now just get that great Norwegian show. We just watch that show and Great content transcends uh, language. It uh, transcends uh, tropes. It, it, it transcends all those things. And I think eight, ten years ago, if you had said to anybody that a show would be more than ten percent uh, subtitled, they would say, "There's no way audiences would never do that." We have seen that that has changed. So, from a purely content state status, we we just look at the way that we build shows as international shows they appeal to everybody so why would we you know why would we make it for one particular territory so we sell it all over the world but one of the things we do in in the way that we do it is we uh we sell things overseas we find uh, an anchor broadcaster and then we find ways to fill in and around that commission um pre-sales what have you um and then usually bringing it back to the states last depending on what it is that's one of our our the ways that we do it and then we use financing partners to cover whatever gap is necessary to, um, to, to get it greenlit. Um, and then, um, yeah, but we, we will also work with streamers in the U S if the content is very specifically U S um, it just depends. So it, it, for us, it's very much about story character um, and whatnot. And, and then we facilitate, um, uh, you know, turning those things into a great product. I think when you see like the way that marketing is being segmented, when we see the way the messaging is being segmented globally, it becomes important if you're someone who is creator first and story first to be able to have multiple optionality, not just one optionality for your creators and for your stories so that the stories can find the best home. And so for us, it was incredibly important not to just pigeonhole ourselves into one model, but to be able to understand all the models and which best serves our story. Because as Leif said, we're a story first company. We're not necessarily hooked to one genre. We're not necessarily hooked to one theme. We want to find the best stories. We want to support the best creators. And we want to make sure that the home that we find for those stories is the most appropriate for that story. Thinking about some of the, uh, some of the business models that you maybe outlined there, Leif, maybe this one's for you. Um, are these business models you think you've always been using throughout your career? And Curiosity is maybe a culmination of, of, of bringing everything you have, have learned to bear? Or are there new are there new models that you're going kind to of ex- not experimenting with, but that you're, you're, that you're using to get these projects off the ground? Well, I've been in television long enough to, uh, you know, remember when TV was not the cool place to be in. And everyone told me that I should get into film because that's where the real stories take place. So I remember, I, you know, I worked a lot in the in the you know, network television space in the U.S. and whatnot. And, and that in that model that was very big is sort of still pervasive in what the streamers do, the way that they control the content, the way that they control all these things. The, the model that we're bringing is really no different than what the European market has been doing for years. The only difference being is that they've been doing it intercontinental and they've been keeping it, you know, in order to build, a, uh, you know, on a, on a much smaller basis uh, with, uh, you know, state run um, uh, networks that only had so much money, they'd have to cobble together all of those pieces um, co-productions, tax credits, all those the, those things. All we're essentially doing is taking that on a much larger scale, global scale, and bringing some financial might to it. But we're also, the way that we present ourselves to European partners is we like to think of ourselves as another European territory as a co-pro and not the big bad Americans coming in as the 800-pound gorilla to dictate terms. So we really want things to be, to feel natural, whatever whatever territory it's in. We're you know, we have a show set in, in you know, Portugal and, and Amsterdam for, for Europe I Train, but um, we have a show set in South Korea, one set in the Middle East. Uh, you know, we're, 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 all, we're very agnostic as far as like where our, you know, where our content goes. It's just about great content. So the model isn't necessarily new per se, but it is augmented and it's, and it's taken what's been there before and building upon it. 
Um, and also, you know, it also dovetails nicely with the way that the streamers have, uh, you know, uh, changed their international strategy for so long. Every, all the streamers wanted to just buy the world. And they have seen as they've put new outposts out into the world, they've started making local content and, and what local language content, what have you. Um, and they've shifted to being able to buy and sell, um, you know, territory to territory and not just all at once. Jusha Apana and Leif Leela Hogan, speaking with Jordan Pinto. That's all for this episode, but you can hear more discussion by tuning in to our C21 FM internet radio station, where you'll hear new interviews airing from Monday. The podcast will be back next week. In the meantime, stay safe and up to date with all the latest international TV industry news and views by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 